Hello and welcome to the European Football Show on the World Football Index. Um, it's a brand new season, but we have a familiar roster. Um, I'm Alan Feely, your host, coming to you from Cork in the Republic of Ireland. I'm joined today by four fantastic guests to touch upon all the major plot lines in European football. Not over the summer, because you only have an hour or so, but over the last week at least. Um, Sam Leverage is in Madrid. How are things, Sam? How's your summer been? Good, thank you, Alan. Been a bit non-stop with the, the Euros, the Olympics, and then the transfer world exploding, but good to have a bit of a break. Absolutely, absolutely. John O'Sullivan is in the west of Ireland, in Galway. What's the crack, John? How's it going? Uh, yeah, brilliant. Thanks. It's, it's great to be back and discuss some of the highs of footballing world, including probably Andros Townsend's transfer to Everton. <laughs> Ouch. Uh, straight in, straight in. No, uh, no messing about with that one. Uh, Jasmine Baba is in Hessen in Germany. Jasmine, how's it going? How's your summer been? It's been good. Had a bit of a break. I haven't written in quite a while, but we'll be returning to it. And more, most importantly, I'm double vaccinated and ready to party on the football scene. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Zach Lowy is in Washington DC. How are things, Zach? What's up, guys? Uh, really excited to be here. Uh, really excited to be on here for the first time. And uh, yeah, as John said, really excited to be discussing the three big transfers. Damari Gray, Andrus Townsend, and Asmir Begovic all going to Finch Farm. Uh, I know we'll have a lot to talk about with those. Oh, dear God. Um, okay, so while that is the big story of the window, no doubt, let's start with a slightly lesser one. Uh, Lionel Messi, of course... You know, it's been a remarkable week. He flew in from Ibiza, landed in Barcelona on Wednesday evening. All the papers were saying that a renewal was imminent, that the next day it would be confirmed. The two-year deal that would pay it across five years with three years spent in the United States, working as an ambassador of sorts for Barcelona while playing in the MLS. Um, but then, of course, on Thursday afternoon, murmurs began to emerge that Things had gone slightly wrong. There was complications in negotiations. And then by Thursday evening, about 7 o'clock GMT, uh, a statement dropped from Barcelona saying that Lionel Messi was not going to continue with the club. He was going to leave. Um, Joan Laporta gave a press conference on Friday morning. Lionel Messi gave one on Sunday morning. Uh, Both were crazy in many ways because Laporta's presser kind of hinted that there was no games being played. This was a, a decision that they had come to after... Uh, significant thinking um, on Sunday morning Lionel Messi could barely speak in the beginning he was completely choked with tears uh, eventually composed himself and again it became clear that this wasn't posturing or brinkmanship on the part of Barcelona it wasn't a, a power play um, it's very very real uh, Sam uh, based in Madrid you pay close attention to the Spanish press can you explain kind of your feelings around the the initial impact of the deal when it first broke, how people reacted in Spain, how you reacted personally, and how the countries reacted to the shock of, you know, the greatest player in the world, one of the greatest players of all time, if not the greatest player of all time, leaving La Liga in a moment where things aren't that strong in the division right now. Well, it's a total mess. Um, it was a bit of a shock because this has been going on for so long. I mean, all summer... There have definitely been times that people expected Messi to leave. But I think for the last month, maybe even two months, all we've heard is that Messi's staying, the deal's going to get done, they're going to get him registered, everything's going to get sorted out. And so people were kind of just... It was more a question of when rather than if um, until 
a couple of days ago. And then when the news first came out at the start, it was almost treated with a bit of suspicion because the people to break the news were actually Marca, who are a big Madrid newspaper and not well known for their contacts in Barcelona. So it was a bit of a surprise that if this was true, that it had come from them. Then it kind of picked up pace. The Catalan media started agreeing with the reports. And then within question of an hour, there was an official statement from Barcelona and it was just crazy. I mean, I think everybody was in shock. Um, El Chiringuito was particularly entertaining over the last few days. Jose Pedro returned from his holidays especially. And they've been doing, I think, three. the last three shows have been Lionel Messi specials. But I think that's just kind of it, the, the shock of it at first, that they couldn't actually believe that this was happening. Barcelona trying to blame La Liga, then Javier Tebas coming out and blaming Laporta, saying that he was lying, that he's doing it to defend the Super League. Um, I don't think there's been as much traction with the whole Super League narrative in Spain as there has been anywhere else, interestingly. But yeah, I think there's just shock. And then as all of the PSG rumours are picked up and it looks more and more likely and now more a question of when that's going to be confirmed, there's a lot of anger towards PSG almost. I mean, you have to think that this summer PSG have signed both Real Madrid's captain and Barcelona's captain. And this is PSG who, while they're a great club, a big European team, the French league competing with La Liga for their best players, even if they are old and and on big wages, that's not the kind of message that Javier Tebas wants to be sharing across the world. Absolutely. I mean, they are old. I mean, Sergio Ramos especially is old, you know, 36 years old now. Um, and you could have argued that it wasn't maybe a step towards retirement for him, but it was definitely, it wasn't a huge loss for Madrid to let go of him. It was very much their decision. Um Whereas with Lionel Messi, I still believe he's the best player in the world. I mean, if you watch the Copa America, he contributed uh, four goals and five assists in seven games as Argentina went all the way to the final, beating Brazil in Rio de Janeiro in the Maracanã Stadium where they lost the 2014 final to Germany, exercising that ghost. And um, he scored 30 goals for Barcelona and 35 La Liga appearances last season, 11 assists, you know, in a pretty mediocre Barcelona team by their standards. So he's still got something in him. Um, he spoke on Sunday about having the hunger to kind of, you know, go and chase down Dani Alves's 43 title record for uh, in collective honours in football. Um, you know, teaming him and Sergio Ramos together, like John, like it's it's kind of a mouth-watering idea, isn't it? I mean, the whole discussion seems to be they're going to keep Kylian Mbappe. They want to keep Kylian Mbappe. Have that front three of Neymar, Messi, Kylian Mbappe. Have Gini Wijnaldum coming in, Champions League winner. Sergio Ramos coming in, four-time Champions League winner. Ashraf Hakimi adding, you know, serious speed and athleticism down the right flank. Along with the other litany of stars they have, Marco Verratti, Marquinhos and the like. I mean, it's quite a... And of course, Gianluigi Donnarumma, one of the stars of the summer. It's a frightening prospect, isn't it, John? Uh, it, did the rest of Europe have a chance or is it is it done? It's an unbelievable array of uh, talent. Um, there's just one thing I might say maybe to the contrary is, I wonder, is it too many alphas, number one? And number two, is it almost nearly too many you know changes in one summer? I mean, for continuity and synergy purposes, there's a lot to do at once, despite the fact that you know the team is absolutely objectively brilliant. And I'm sure because of the struggles of some of the other league-owned clubs, that like they will win the title there. I think you can say that for certainty. But it'll be very interesting to see what happens in the context of the Champions League. And I think also how Maurizio Pochettino, who is objectively a very good coach, will be handled, 
able to handle so many egos because that is a dressing room absolutely crammed with big egos and big personalities. So they're going to be the most interesting club in Europe in any way, shape or form, however you dice it up next season. And that, I can't wait to see how it falls out. They started their domestic campaign with a 2-1 win away to Trois. But, uh, you know, tougher, tougher tests will follow and I'll be very interested to see how they get on. Absolutely. Um, Sam, you want to come in there? Yeah, and no, I just kind of going on with what John was saying, I mean, the number of egos and things, I think this is the closest we've had to, to the Galacticos of Real Madrid in the early noughties. And we know how that kind of ended up with, with no European success that Florentino was so desperate for. And so I think it will be really interesting to see how it unfolds. Will it be a repeat of that Galactico era, which kind of all ended in tears? Or will PSG find a way to get it right? I think with Pochettino, he's a coach who's, who's achieved a lot, but not got a big track record of managing the big egos. I mean, maybe if it was someone like Zidane Zidane, it would be a different question. But I think this will be a real challenge to see how they get on. And another test of the Galactico approach of is just assembling all of the best players in the world in one team the best way to win trophies. Absolutely. Um, Lionel Messi actually directly called Mauricio Pochettino, according to reports, on Thursday evening, setting the whole thing in motion. Um, so a very, very interesting dynamic there for sure. There's going to be a lot of eyeballs in league on next year or this year, as has already begun last weekend. Uh, Zach, I know you're a keen follower of French football. We were talking last <laughs> night about uh, the Marseille-Montpellier game, which is an right. incredible spectacle for many reasons. <laughs> How do you think that Messi's arrival, you know, if it does happen, is going to impact the French league and its profile around the world? And how do you think that this new Galactico or Le Galactique, you could say, as Sam was alluding to, are going to cope next season? I think that, I mean, Messi's arrival uh, can really only be considered as a major boost and a major positive for the French league. Uh, you know, this is a this is a league that for many years a lot of us were thinking. You know, what what is its real appeal? Uh, obviously, they call itself Ligue des Talents, uh, League of Young Talents, uh, which I, has definitely been a reason for for me to tune in. But uh, some other people they they want to see the stars. You know, they don't want obviously they don't want a one horse race. And uh, I think that Messi's that Messi's arrival will definitely harm the competitive balance to a degree. Uh, but you do have to remember that Lille are coming off a season where they just won their first uh, Ligue 1 title in a decade. Uh, it, if, if the summer's business is any indication, they aren't going to be in that same position. But you have to consider, okay, Marseille, who really don't seem to have uh, to not have a, a single dull game under Jorge Sampaoli. Uh, you've got Nico Kovac's Monaco side. Uh, this Ren team and this Nice team. There's so many reasons uh, to to like Ligue 1, to follow Ligue 1 this season. Uh, and I think that if, if the first weekend of, of Ligue 1 did not convince you of seeing so many uh, just absolutely thrilling matches, then perhaps the arrival of uh, arguably the greatest footballer of all time will will convince you. I mean, the people who say that Ligue 1 is a one horse race, they'll, they'll always say it. Uh, so why not just bring in why not just bring in Lionel Messi and get to watch him every day um, for a league that has you know we've we've heard so many stories about uh, Ligue 1 clubs on the brink uh, struggling with this media pro the collapsed media pro TV deal. Um, really, for the most part. So many teams that have that have been on their knees for a savior. I think that just the emergence of, of Messi, Messi coming to the league and you know facing off against likes of Marseille, Troyes, 
Claremont foot Bordeaux. Um, I can't help but think that it's just going to be uh, a massive of, of massive importance for growing the league's popularity and uh, really for helping it become a mainstream league. Um, and and finally, one one thing that I will also say is that. Um, BN Sports, the which was the provider of of La Liga um, for, for over the past few years in in the United States, it is no longer the provider of La Liga. The rights have changed to ESPN, uh, but it is the the sole rights holder of BN Sports. So really, that I think those two combinations, you know, Messi uh, joining PSG as well as BN only go, going to focus on uh, Ligue 1 as well as the Super League. They have rights uh, for the Turkish League. I definitely think that those two factors will, will definitely sway popularity of Ligue 1 uh, in the United States. Hmm. Uh, Jasmine, what's your take on it? I mean, do you think that a rising tide will kind of you know lift all boats, like Messi's arrival will kind of lift up the lower teams in uh, Ligue 1, attract more outside talent, attract more eyeballs and that kind of thing? And also, I just want to get your perspective as somebody based in Germany, working heavily in German football. How do they feel about this whole saga and this whole kind of, you know, quote-unquote power shift? I know that Erling Haaland has been linked to Bayern Munich today, but it seems to me, you know, there's almost it's almost been like Bayern and German football as a whole have been left out of this kind of, you know, trading system, you could say, this summer. It seems to be, you know, Ligue 1 has been expanded, it's strengthened greatly. Um, the Premier League has been strengthened greatly. Uh, Spanish football has been weakened greatly, whereas Italian football has been weakened greatly, whereas German football seems to be kind of not really writing any narrative right now. I think that's how the Germans like it. They don't like to have the biggest narrative out of European football, and I think they're quite glad to stay quite out of it. Um, When we talk about in terms of money, and they do like to keep it quite real and grounded in the German leagues. Um, The Messi situation has been quite a shock here, Um, but not like the front pages as it would have been even in the UK. Um, Germans are quite self-centered when it comes to news like that. Um, We've talked about Tony Cruz's view here in Germany, which, you know, playing for Real Madrid and no one really cares that much until it's a national year and he's playing for Germany um so it's been quite it's just more of a shock um my own personal opinion I think it's actually great for the French league just because of the TV rights deal and the trouble surrounding smaller teams with that I think because Canal Plus were ordered to honour their side of the agreement basically by showing two games a week. I think they've accidentally will like this if um, when Messi gets announced to, to PSG um, because it's basically a whole let off. There is going to be a lot of people who casually watch Barcelona for Messi now join on to PSG. The smaller teams, even if he's playing a... a a Norse or anyone like that, but people are going to be interested in him. People are going to be more interested in PSG. And as already has been said, this is the closest thing to the Galacticos team move from Madrid. So it is really interesting, the storyline of how Pochettino actually deals with that because this is more than he would have ever imagined 
managing Spurs. I mean, um, there was talk. Can we can we just imagine at the start of the summer there was talk of Pochettino going back to Spurs and managing Spurs, and now he's got Messi in his team. How mind blowing is that? I think it's great, and it, it will be a lot more interesting to see because especially French football is a bit different. Um, if you look at it kind of technically and data-wise, they're one of the lowest kind of shots allowed it in the top five leagues, so it will be interesting if he has to alter his game as well. Absolutely. Pochettino actually played against Messi in Messi's debut, would you believe it, when Messi was just 17 years old, 2004, came on for Barcelona against Espanyol, Catalan derby. And uh, Poch was uh, playing with long hair too. I think he had long hair at that time. Um, but yeah, I mean, Sam, like there's been a bit of a kind of discourse, you could say, on social media since the Messi news broke. A lot of people, you know, kind of claiming La Liga is finished. La Liga kind of diehards rowing back quite aggressively against that, pointing to all the positive aspects of the league that's still there. I mean, of course, you know, you and I and many others our La Liga diehards, we're going to watch it no matter what. But do you think that Messi's departure and Sergio Ramos's departure and even, you know, somebody like Brian Hill, who's gone from Sevilla to Spurs, one of Spanish football's most exciting prospects, do, do you think the departure of these players and the kind of general drop in quality, you could say, amongst the top end, the sharp end of La Liga and the lack of financial power there at the moment, is that really damaging for the league? And is the league in serious danger of not going the way of, you know, Italy, you could say, in the way Italy have gone in the last two decades, but something like that. And how do you feel about the immediate future of Spanish football? To be honest, I don't think it's as bad as, as some people are making out. I mean, it's very easy to go with the doomsday predictions and things. But like Zach said earlier, La Liga have got their deal with, with ESPN, which is going to be huge for the, the presence of La Liga in the US. Um, they've also got this deal with, with CVC, the investment company, which will might not be the best deal long term, but it will definitely give some clubs a, a cash injection now, which hopefully will help them to be a bit more competitive on a European level. Um, and then I think, in general, the actual quality of the league isn't that bad. I mean, you look at the Barcelona team, even without Lionel Messi, if they can register all the signings that they've made, then they've still got just they're going in goal. They've got Pique Araujo, a really good defender in defence. Then you've got Frankie de Jong, Pedri in midfield, and then Griezmann and Memphis Depay in attack. I mean, that's a really good team. Yeah, sure, they don't have Lionel Messi, and sure, they might not be a side that can win the Champions League, for example, but there are good teams and good players in La Liga, so I don't think it's it's as bad a situation as some can make out. I think this year is, a, is going to be decisive because they kind of need some players to step up and and kind of be the superstar. I think they have enough characters, the Karim Benzema's, the Antoine Griezmann's, these kind of very much the players who've been on the fringes of the top three of world football, and there are quite a few of them in La Liga, so it's time for one of them to step up. But I don't think this is going to be the start of the end of La Liga or anything like that. I think it's a new challenge after having had Messi and, and Ronaldo dominating world football entirely, pretty much on their own. And for much of kind of the 10 years of their peak in La Liga, it's different. But I don't think that La Liga is going to be any worse off than a number of leagues. I think with Real Madrid as well, they're always going to be very ambitious in their transfer business. We're still hearing all this about Mbappé and these kinds of signings or Haaland if they can't get Mbappé. If something like that were to happen, then I think people would forget about Lionel Messi in, in the blink of an eye almost. I mean, 
Mbappe would be the kind of signing that would set La Liga up for the next 10, 15 years. Whereas Messi, as, as good as he still is, we know that in five years he's not going to be around anymore. And so I think La Liga's long-term future isn't as bad as some people are, are trying to make out. Long-term future is one thing. What about short-term future, Sam? I mean, we know you're a mattress maker, a Colchonero, um, an Atletico Madrid supporter. Is it their title to lose next season? Or will somebody like Cholo Simeone never entertain talk like that? Well, Cholo will never entertain it, but it's true. I mean, I, I can't think of a time in the last 30 years when Atleti have been favourites for the league title going into the season, but that's what's going to happen this year. I mean, Real Madrid and Barcelona have both had pretty bad summers in many respects and Real Madrid don't look likely to get Mbappé this summer though who knows what happens now that Messi's going to PSG and Barcelona are all over the place having lost Messi so I think this is the the summer that Aleti needed they haven't lost any key players um, they've made some good signings in Rodrigo de Paul Rafa Mir might be the next one and so I think as an Atleti fan, you can be very optimistic about retaining that La Liga title. And I think long term or medium term even, I think that's good for La Liga. I mean, we're seeing Atleti win the title. I mean, Sevilla, if they keep hold of Jules Conde, then they could probably push to break into the top two. Um, and plenty of other teams in La Liga who maybe not quite there yet, but maybe they could push into the top four. Villarreal won the Europa League and, and when they want to be on their day, they're a very good side. Then there's plenty of other teams in kind of that next group of Real Betis, an, an athletic club who can certainly push on and qualify for the Europa League and try and have a good season there. Mm, certainly. And from Barcelona's perspective, specifically, Zach, like, how does this affect their short-term future? Is the club in a bit of a crisis? I mean, they opened the post-Messi era with a nice 3-0 defeat of uh, Juventus last night in the joke. John Gamper uh, trophy final at the Estadio Johan Cruyff. Um, how optimistic do you think they can be next season? I mean, they do have some talented young players, as Sam alluded to, and they also have the tactical genius of uh, Ronald Koeman at the helm. Um, <laughs> it's sarcasm if you haven't noticed it. Uh, how do you feel about Barca this season? Could Messi leaving be almost a blessing in disguise in terms of someone like Antoine Griezmann step up, step up to the plate? I mean, Samuel Umtiti yeah. was hissed and booed every time he touched the ball last night because he's kind of the you know the the star the what's the word the scapegoat of this whole mm. financial mess they're in how, how do you feel about Barcelona going to this new season yeah um I'll admit I was not watching the uh Gamper the Joan Gamper trophy game I was watching Ligue 1 uh so I can't comment on the the match against Juventus but uh overall I I feel pretty apathetic um I won't lie um, it's something that, you know, I've been feeling increasingly apathetic towards Barcelona in recent years. Um, but I, I don't know. I just, I think that everybody, you know, they obviously knew that this this day was going to come sometime, uh, the day where Lionel Messi was no longer a Barcelona player. But I definitely don't think that they uh, expected it to come uh, right now as, as immediately as it did. Um, I think that, you know, looking at this team... I, th- I think perhaps the most heartbreaking part of it um, is the fact that Messi wanted to stay. You know, he was willing to take a 50% pay cut. Uh, he was, you know, seemingly in a very good mood after, you know, finally winning uh, the Copa America with Argentina. Uh, he seemed like, okay, I-, I-, I know that I wanted to leave last summer, but I'm ready to settle down uh, and stay. And the fact that Barcelona 
not La Liga, but Barcelona are the reasons why uh, they could not register him and renew him, uh, renew him and, and allow him to play through his prime as a Barcelona player. I think that's the most heartbreaking thing of it. So, yes, there are some uh, interesting signings that, that have happened. I think that, you know, from what I've seen in preseason, Memphis Depay looks like he's, he's gotten, uh, looks like he's, he's started well. And he could, he and Antoine Griezmann, I think, could definitely be beneficiaries of Messi's departure. Uh, Memphis was has had to kind of change his game uh, in in the in the year and a half since his ACL injury, um, I believe. But and so last season at Lyon, he racked up some of the best numbers of his career, kind of almost playing as a ten, almost as a false nine, like playing. Uh, in between two two wide forwards in Carl Toko Kambi and Tino Cadewere. Um so I do think that he, as well as Antoine Griezmann, who we've seen you know during his time uh, both at Atletico and, and France, just how effective he can be kind of as a central playmaker. I do feel in a way that those two players um, might be able to benefit somewhat from from Messi's departure. Um, but overall, I, I don't think that. I, I I struggled to find any any justification for it being a blessing in disguise, uh, apart from potentially improved performances from from Memphis and uh, and Griezmann. I just think that the fact is Barcelona missed out on a hundred million euros um, plus you know whatever Manchester City were willing to throw in last summer. You know they could have gotten a ton of money for Messi last summer could have started the rebuild early and bottom line you know i'm not saying they could have signed erling holland or killing mbappe this summer but they could have definitely registered uh memphis Depay, emerson and eric garcia by now uh and they missed out on the chance and the fact is they could have they could have gotten the greatest player in club history to renew their contract to renew his contract for you know half his wages and they couldn't do that they literally were not able to because even with Messi gone that's still a 95% ratio um, of wages to revenue uh, which is you know well above the 70% that's the benchmark for La Liga but also just generally recommended from businesses um, so yeah overall it, it definitely feels like a, a sword in the back it, it feels really heartbreaking um, if you love Barcelona Definitely. If you love football too, I think the idea of a one club man like Lionel Messi, uh, you know, finishing his elite career in Barcelona was a seductive one. And to the people as well who are saying that he should play for free, it's which is idiotic in the first place that he should, you know, give away free labor to cover up the inefficiencies and inadequacies and incompetencies of men in suits. Um, but it's not actually legally possible. Uh, in Spain, you cannot sign a new contract for less than 50% of your previous contracts to do with financial manipulation. So um, a lot of people are commenting saying they should play for free. It literally isn't legally possible. He literally did everything he could legally to stay at Barcelona. And, you know, John Laporta and the Barcelona board choosing another route, the Super League, which I'm sure will rear its head relatively soon. Um, don't forget the Florentino Perez, uh, Andrea Agnelli and John Laporta had lunch on Sunday afternoon. Uh, before the Jean Gamper uh, to discuss it. So I'm sure we haven't seen the back of that just yet. Um, but I guess part of the reason, John, they want this European Super League and it's something that's only become exac- exacerbated this summer is the financial strength of clubs of, shall we put it as, alternative funding um, have in this time of pandemic. 
uh, Chelsea, Manchester City and PSG have been very active this summer and will continue to be active this summer, it appears. Uh, Manchester City have signed a Jack Grealish for north of £100 million from Aston Villa, making him the most expensive British footballer of all time, even though he was actually an Irish player up until very recently. Um, and Chelsea are very, very close, it, by all accounts, to taking Romelu Lukaku back uh, from Inter Milan after you know a small bit of period away at Goodison Park first and then at Manchester United. Uh, let's start with the Grealish transfer, John. Um, what do you make of this? I mean, it's been painted kind of as, you know, a top team putting the cherry on top of the cake or the icing on the cake. He obviously isn't an essential component to that team, but I guess he's brought in to maybe take it to the next level, give them an unpredictability that they didn't have and, you know, give them that extra kind of pizzazz to really press for a European title this next summer. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's crazy money, really. But I guess when you're in the realms of football, it, it's kind of just it's it's its own little bubble. Um, I think that I I'm not blown away by this signing. I, I think that he might struggle to replicate his form last Villa just because he was a linchpin there. He was really their man. They always played through him and looked through him to be their inspiration. He was allowed to carry the ball a lot at Aston Villa and dribble a lot, which you might necessarily get that kind of tactical latitude at Manchester City, where it's more about possession football and a constant array of passing but uh it'll be interesting just to see where Guardiola plays and whether it's in the front three which uh he obviously kind of played more in at Aston Villa off the left-hand side or whether it's as number eight which has also been been talked about but uh I, I I don't think uh I don't think he'll maybe hit the heights that such a price tag will uh will, will kind of put on his shoulders not not that uh that's anything got to do with him it was just what the money required to take him to the club but uh, I just think it's it's another example of uh, kind of Guardiola reverting to type. Now, when he came to Manchester City, he inherited the likes of Fernandinho and Sterling, and he added Sané. So he had a lot of pace in the team. But gradually, he's kind of maybe looked to change that and become a bit more to his old, like, very, very possession-oriented and possession-heavy kind of style like at Barcelona. But the difference is at Barcelona, he also had players who, who who could run in behind such as uh, Villa and Pedro so I'm thinking now if he were to play Grealish in the front three and hypothetically alongside Kane and maybe Foden they wouldn't have so many players to run in behind and offer that threat so it, it'll be interesting from that perspective as well but uh, I think maybe the main beneficiaries here could be Aston Villa because they've done some absolutely spectacular business in my opinion since uh, since since Grealish left and even before in signing Buendia, uh, Leon Bailey and um, <clears throat> Danny Ings, which was uh, one of those old school transfers. It's like the kind of thing you'd look on Teletext and you'd all of a sudden see with absolutely no preamble or months of nauseating speculation. They just so happened to have a press release. It's like, oh, by the way, we've signed Danny Ings. So I think, I think Grealish, to see how he settles at Manchester City would be very interesting. I'm not convinced it'll be like, He'll make like an earth-shattering kind of an impact, but you know Manchester City are are so good that they and they have such depth that they don't necessarily need a player like him to absolutely shoot the lights out. So uh, I think just to go back to the main point, I think Villa are probably the main beneficiaries of this, but it'll just be really interesting to see what Guardiola does with Grealish. Southampton have certainly have a tough transfer window, but they shouldn't be worried because they're playing everything in the first day of the season. So they're uh, they've got a nice nice uh, opener there, given the way things have been going for the mighty not so mighty Blues. Um, Jasmine, what's your take on Grealish? I mean, like he seems to be the story of the summer. Like I mean, I, I've been hearing about him literally all summer, not just as a transfer or a potential transfer, but also as the 
the most famous unused substitute of all time at the Euro 2020. You know, everyone was constantly clamoring to um, to bring him on for Southgate, to bring him on for England. You know, there was Miss Grealish 69 shirts in the audience and <laughs> the crowd. Um, that was a Man United shirt, by the way. It didn't work out very well for her. Uh, you know, it, it seems so much clamor around this guy. And like, I mean, obviously he's very good. I'm not going to say he's not good, but is he as good as people are saying? And do you think that he's the right fit? Like he seems to be, as John alluded to, the ultimate individualist playing in the ultimate system team. Like, will Guardiola take his game interstellar, take it to the next level? Or is it going to be a bit like Zlatan Ibrahimovic when he went to Barcelona under Pep and just failed to gel and buy into the system? Like, how do you see things going? Uh, this is the thing. I am... I'm not completely baffled by it. I am slightly baffled by the price. Because 100 million, I, I if you look at Transfermarkt and other rating sites, Jack Grealish is nowhere near a a hundred million pound player he's just not and it's okay to say it's not because it's only real world-class players who are um i don't understand how he will fit in pep guardiola's system however pep guardiola is one of the best at making people fit in his system um i see him playing more as an eight as john already said but I truly don't know. And this is the one of the things in, that really irks me. Until I see it, I really don't know how to talk, to be, talk about it or see how it fits. He said he's, um, he is a very progressive person. Um, progressive, progressive passes and progressive ca- carries in the last year. He's the top 1%. So uh, there's no doubt in his talent. His shot-creating actions also in the top percent. He's a good provider. Um, but for 100... So, like, his data backs it up, but how he actually fits in such a smart, positional team, I just don't see it. I'm sure I'll be wrong, and I'm sure it'll click well, but I can't explain how it's come to a conclusion where... And, like, no one had the greatest thing are the surprising transfers. No one had an inkling that this uh, would happen. And it was just like, yeah, okay, they've bought them for $100 million. It seems so big, yet so not really tactically talked about, because I don't think anyone knows how exactly he's going to use them. Um, and I think I said this last season about... Um, Man City buying Harry Kane, if they buy him. Harry Kane just doesn't seem like a very Pep Guardiola um, player. But I think Jack Grealish is more of a Pep Guardiola player, but not to a certain extent. I I really don't know what he'll offer that team. But again, it's exciting. So um, let's see how he fits in. He definitely has the talent for it. I just don't see how exactly he fits yet. Um, so we spoke about Atleti being the team to beat in Spain, Sam. Um, our city, the team to beat in England. I mean, the greatest deal is done. Harry Kane seems to be touted. If Harry Kane does join City, could anyone potentially, you know, compete with him this season? I mean, 
We spoke last season about whether King would have the spikiness or the edge to kind of force through a move. It's evident that he does. He's uh, not been to training this season yet. He's still in Florida with his family. Um, he obviously wants this move. And he's going to do whatever it takes to make this move happen. Um, so a double question for you, Sam. Do you think that City are the team to beat this season, um, especially if Kane does join? And is Kane right to be forcing the move the way he is? I think City will be the team to beat. I mean, it's kind of going against everything that Premier League fans have said for years about the Bundesliga and Bayern Munich buying up all the talent from every other team and, and PSG and Ligue 1. I mean, you look at City who ran away with the league last season and then this summer they're trying to take the stars of Aston Villa and Tottenham. I mean, it's very Bayern PSG-esque in a way. I think they have to be the favourites. I mean, for me, the next best team would either be Liverpool or Chelsea. I think Chelsea, are, who are going to be active as well with, with Lukaku possibly, and, and they've got a fairly decent team with Tuchel having his first full season. I think they'll be contenders, but I don't think they're at City's level yet. And Liverpool, I think their squad might be a little bit thin this season, having having let Wijnaldum leave and, and not really brought in a replacement. So I think Liverpool could be a little bit further off the pace. Chelsea not quite at that level yet. So I think City should really be, be winning this league by some distance and looking to compete in Europe as well. And then with Kane, I think it's a tricky one because I can see why he would force a move. I mean, his age... With his injury record, he probably knows that to get a long-term, big-money contract, he really has to move sooner rather than later. And there's only so many years that he can play in the Europa League for a mid-table team like Spurs. The conference League time. this year. Yeah, Conference League, yeah. So I think that's kind of Harry Kane's dilemma is, is when does he force the move or does he just settle for whatever Spurs were going to have? And, and I can understand why if I was him looking at the business that Daniel Levy's doing, why you wouldn't be happy to settle for that. So it's not nice for any football fan to see this kind of thing happening, especially when it's a, a player like Kane who's so influential and always grown up and been at the club. But you can see his motivations thinking on a purely personal level. Absolutely. Um, it's it's an interesting one, right? It'll be interesting to see how that plays out over the next few weeks. Um, Zach, what's your take on Man City's business so far this summer? I mean, if that move does come off, do you think that they'll be, you know, the team to beat, or do you think that there's other contenders who could who could compete with them? And also, how do you feel that they get on in Europe this season? Obviously, that seems to yeah. be their their Achilles heel, you could say. Yeah, I mean, I echo both uh, John and Jasmine's sentiments. Um, I think that Jack Grealish, phenomenal player, uh, one of the most exciting players to watch in Europe. But uh, is he a hundred million pound player? Is is he more importantly? Is he going to move City closer to winning the Champions League? I'm I'm not one hundred percent sure that he does. Um, I think that he is probably. I think that he is an upgrade on Bernardo Silva to a degree. But but there are definitely some concerns that persist. I think the biggest one is uh, how does he adapt from going from a team where. He's really, you know, the hero, the talisman, uh, very much similar to Philip Coutinho during his time at Liverpool, for example, uh, to to going to a City team where, you know, he's going to have to share the spotlight and and more importantly share the ball with likes of Kevin De Bruyne, uh, Riyad Mahrez, uh, Phil Foden, so on and so on. Um, I'm just not sure. And another one of my bigger concerns uh, is how does Grealish fit into their pressing strategy? I think that he is, you know, he has shown his ability to be an intense presser during his time uh, at Villa. 
but uh, it's just it's just so much more complex than a team like City. Um, and you know, as good as Grealish is, uh, there is a reason I think why uh, Gareth Southgate left him out of of most of the games of of the starting lineup in most of England's games during this uh, summer's Euros. And I think that most of that had to do with concerns over his uh, over really how he how he sets up defensively. Um, so it's an interesting move. I, I think that uh, a, a great player, but I, I'm not 100% sure that this moves them closer uh, to winning the Champions League. Harry Kane, on the other hand, uh, I think that's, that's a move where you can certainly say, okay, they, they've got this world-class striker down the line. Uh, they've got this world-class striker coming in. Uh, they are the team to beat in England. So it, it is hard to say who's the team to beat right now, given the fact that, um, in my opinion, the two best teams in England, City and Chelsea, uh, still are waiting on, on two center, central forward reinforcements to come in with Harry Kane and Romelu Lukaku. Uh, but assuming that those, two, that those two deals happen, I think that City would, would, would be my team to beat um, in, in Europe. I mean, I'm sorry, in, in the Premier League. As for Europe, uh, it is a bit up in the air. I think that right now PSG have to be considered favorites uh, for the Champions League, but getting two players of, of Kane and Grealish's caliber in, uh, they, they definitely have to be considered, I think, at least favorites to make the, the final four, potentially even the final again uh, for the second straight year. Certainly very strong until Pep Guardiola does something mad in the final, like playing... I don't know, an asymmetrical formation or something like that. Uh, Jasmine, um, Chelsea. <laughs> I mean, as an Arsenal fan, as an Arsenal fan, I know they're probably not your favorite outfit, but they look frightening this year. To be honest with you, um, I remember saying towards the end of last season when Tuchel had properly kind of you know implemented his style and systems, I was saying if you put Lukaku in this team, like it's a frightening prospect. I saw Lukaku with the Euros live in the flesh um, in La Cartu and Seville. Uh, when Portugal played Belgium, he didn't have the best of games, but he was uh, just a phenomenal presence. Like he, he looks so lean right now. He's changed his diet and moved to Italy. He's gotten the respect and the confidence that he he needs. I think he's that kind of player, and he's just become a, a phenomenon. I mean, like, what do you think Chelsea could be like if they do recruit him and add that final piece to the jigsaw under Thomas Tuchel, and also Thomas Tuchel having had a full preseason behind him? Um, well, I think we talked about this several times last season, or maybe across one of our chats, uh, whenever there were rumours about Haaland to Chelsea, I was like, that's it, that's them unbeaten, winning everything. And I think Romelu Lukaku is actually a more experienced Haaland in that sort of way. You know, he's older, he's had a rate vast range of experience across leagues he's premier league experience and the thing is he's always very underrated he always has been underrated he was one of the quickest players to get to 100 goals in the premier league um i think he's 10th i'm I'm calling this off my memory so it might be a bit shaky i think he's 10th off the all-time goals tally or something in the premier league um again if you look at data progressive uh, passes, um, received touches in the penalty area, shot-creating actions, 
expected assists, assists, um, non-penalty goals, they're all in the 90th and above percentile. He's one of the best and it's something that Chelsea really have been crying out for. As good as they are tactically, which will be one of the best tactically because of Thomas Tuchel, um, they have lacked that clinical instinct, which I think Lukaku really has. He has um, pace, great decision-making, and just that clinicalness that, you know, Timo Werner and Kai Havertz sometimes lack. And we saw that at stages in the Premier League, in the Champions League, but, you know, Tuchel outmasters them. So I think... I, everyone's saying City is the team to beat. I would honestly, a part of me is saying Chelsea is the team to beat. Once Lukaku is definitely over the line, um, there's just something about him it, and the team. It's just so fresh. It functions so well. And for all of Man City's kind of um, drop-in, drop-out movement that was so refreshing to see him, which helped them win the league... I just can't write off this Chelsea team. And I think you, there's several times of me last season again that when it was down to, I think, eight teams, I would just say Chelsea are around third favourite, but you should really take the odds on them. Um, and this is, will be this year as well in the Premier League. I just see them being very, very tough this year. Um, a quick note on, like... Um, the worth of players, especially in the case of Jack Grealish, who's currently around worth 66 million or 50 million between pounds and euros. I think it's around 58 million pounds. And you'll see a lot of, you'll see, we're seeing a lot of players, English players, basically double from their transfer value to what they're actually being bought at. So again, Jack Grealish is around 58 million pounds. Ben White was around 30. Um, obviously went to Arsenal for around 50. Um, so I wonder if we're talking about, you know, the kind of worth of players and we're seeing English players, again, heavily marked up in the Premier League. Absolutely. Uh, Zach, as a prior community, needs to attend to. Um, so we'll bid him farewell. Zach, do you want to plug your socials before you go? Yeah, thank you so much uh, for having me on. It was a pleasure. Uh, my Twitter account is Zach Lowy, Z-A-C-H-L-O-W-Y. Uh, you can check out my website, BTLVID, B-T-L-V-I-D, Breaking the Lines. Uh, we've got a lot of interesting articles, as well as my weekly podcast on Portuguese football, Corta Linus, uh, available on all streaming platforms. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Thanks a million, Zach. I hope to have you on again soon. Uh, until then, Ateja. Ateja. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, Zach. Um, John, like, what's your thoughts on this coming season as a copite? Um, sorry, a Liverpool fan. Uh, do you do you feel confident? Um, I mean, obviously, like as Sam alluded to, uh, the squad is quite threadbare compared to, you know, the other top. Uh, heavy hitters in the league um, do you think that Liverpool could bounce back um, from last season's disappointment and put pressure on the likes of City and Chelsea yeah. and Manchester United of course definitely well <clears throat> if I were to say it right now and obviously these things are all pending to change because the transfer window is still opening and my interpretation of events is that it will get busier towards the end and like that could totally change a narrative 
But if I were to look at it now, I think it's a three-way title race between Chelsea, like you guys have mentioned. I think Lukaku would take them up another level. And if they were to sign your favourite, Jules Koundé, I think he, he would uh, he would even enhance them further. He, he's a better player than any centre-half they currently have, in my opinion. And I think he'd be very well suited to their back three. And Manchester City, obviously, if they if they kind of buttress their squad further with Kane and it's their title to defend, they'll obviously be there or thereabouts. But I think in Liverpool, um, I think they'll improve. If you look at them at the back end of last season, playing a, playing a partnership of uh, Nat Phillips and Reese Williams, who with, who, with all due respect, you know, they're not Champions League cal- calibre defenders. They, they went on a brilliant run and they were 10 games undefeated in the last 10. So, you know, they were really resurgent towards the end of the season. And I would attribute a lot of that to one, Fabinho returning to midfield. I think he's so important. And two, to another favourite player of yours, Thiago, having regular game time in the Premier League and, and building up a synergy with Fabinho. So I think if Thiago can stay fit for, you know, the vast majority of next season, I think he, not alone, but I think he will be a great additive to this squad that, you know, only two seasons ago won the league. So I think they'll be there, thereabouts. Um, what Sam says is correct. Their their first eleven is excellent. If you were to go through it, it's comparable to nearly anybody's. But I think, yeah, their squad does lack in certain spots, especially you know in the front three. Diogo Jota is a great player, but beneath him, it's it's fairly bare. Uh, Jorginho Wijnaldum, who is a big, big presence and the most absurdly fit footballer I can ever remember, has left, so he'll need replacing. But if they were to, you know, if they were to add in the market in the final couple of weeks, I think they could be there, there, thereabouts. I think last season they were just so, so unfortunate with injuries and a lot of things went against them. It kind of gave a false impression of this squad. They are much better than uh, than what they showed for a lot of last season, just because they they were they were so unfortunate. So I wouldn't outright say they would be winners, but I think they would be there thereabouts come next May, and certainly in the top four. I don't think the top four will change from last season. I just think the configuration of it could change. Mm, interesting. Um, what's your take on this, Sam? Um, obviously, I think you were speaking with Sam, another Sam, Sam McGuire, about. Uh, uh, Saul Niguez and the chance that he could go to Liverpool from Atletico Madrid. Now I know that you're somebody with sympathies for both Atletico and Liverpool. Um, how do you see Liverpool going into next season? And do you think that the Saul transfer could still happen? I mean, it seems to be uh, my my reading it at least in Spanish press is that Madrid, Atletico Madrid are open to selling him. They actually want to sell him to have the funds, bring in the likes of Rafa Mir and maybe some other players. Um, and Saul obviously wants to go to kind of further his career. He's not getting as much playing time as he, he used to get under Diego Simeone. And the arrival of Rodrigo de Paul is going to negate that even more, you would imagine. Um, but the issue, I guess, is that he kind of almost needs to play his way back into form to command the kind of 40 million euro transfer fee that uh, seems to be set on his head. Um, I know that you rate him very highly. You believe he's worth more than €40 million. Euros, but uh, do you think that he could still go to Liverpool, given their financial situation? Or do you think that the most likely scenario is he's going to stay at Bayern Munich, uh, uh, sorry, at Atletico Madrid next season and play as a back into form? Or could another suitor come in for him, do you think? I think so. All is genuinely one of the weirdest transfer rumours, speculation that I've seen in a long time. I mean... It's very clear that Saul wants to leave. It's very clear that Aleti wants to sell. It's very clear that some clubs are interested and yet nothing seems to be progressing. Lately, it seems to have died down a bit for a few weeks. It looked almost certain that somebody would come in with an offer and they haven't. So I don't know if that's that Aleti are putting the asking price too high. I do wonder if there is an interest from Liverpool. I mean, 
people close to Liverpool have always been playing Liverpool's interest down, saying there's nothing serious in it. But I do wonder if Liverpool do have an interest, they're just not interested at 40 million and they're trying to bargain something down, hoping that last minute Atleti might lower their asking price so they can bring a striker in. I think it's one of those transfers that if Saul does leave Atleti this, this summer, then I think it will be later on in the window. And for me, he would be the perfect addition for Liverpool. I mean, he's the kind of engine midfielder that that Jurgen Klopp likes. He's he presses. He he doesn't he, he doesn't like duck out of any of his defensive duties. But he's also a very good passer. He's got good vision. He's very energetic. I mean, in many ways, he's almost like a younger James Milner almost. So I think that he does have what Liverpool need, and I think he would be a good replacement for Wijnaldum. But kind of going back to what John said as well, I think Liverpool's starting eleven is excellent. I think they do need a player with the talent of Saul on the bench to kind of really put them into contention. But at the same time, I think Liverpool have a number of kind of backup options that are complete enigmas. And I think that's what makes them so hard to predict. I mean, young players like Harvey Elliott, um, brilliant for Blackburn on loan last season. Let's see how he gets on in the Premier League. If he hangs around at Anfield, will he kind of have the impact that he could? Then there's also players like Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, who we know that struggle to to produce but if Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain can get into a good run of form and stay fit then he's the kind of player that the Liverpool need to really push them into the a title race and so I think there's a lot of unknowns surrounding Liverpool and and Saul is the kind of player that would help to reduce the uncertainty that they might face next season. I think you're a big fan of Saul right John? Um, I think I think he's a fantastic player I love the James Milner comparison um I think even now it's so important to note that with Andrew Robertson picking up an injury uh, yesterday, Saul is also a player who could moonlight as a left-back. I saw a breakdown of like the positions that he's played in his career, and more or less he has played everywhere except goal. So very tactically intelligent, physically, physically on point. And uh, I think one of the key things is that the similarities perhaps between a Klopp midfield and a Simeone midfield. Now, to some people that might sound a little bit silly because, you know, Simeone is, you know, very famous for playing, you know, a low block kind of defence, very disciplined. But then Klopp, for the last couple of years at Liverpool, has been really a proponent of playing a midfield that is more or less just providing coverage for the full-backs and being very defensively diligent. So you can see how the adjustment could be maybe a little bit easier between a midfielder from a Simeone team to a midfielder for a Klopp team. So it's a deal that I would certainly hope to happen. There's also the other benefit, of course, that he's left-footed. I think... Uh, that will add a balance that, that Liverpool don't have currently, apart from Harvey Elliott, who's been kind of trying out in midfield in uh, in preseason. So yeah, if, if this were if this were a deal that would happen, and I have an inkling that it might, I think that would be probably as good as Liverpool could do realistically with a midfield signing in terms of suitability this summer. And I think uh, I think it's kind of one of those rare instances where it's in everyone's best interest. He wants to leave to maybe further his career and try out a new footballing culture. Atletico Madrid need the money to replenish their squad and I'm sure they feel that if they can replenish their squad even further and maybe add a bit more you know, firepower to supplement Suarez that they can retain their La Liga crown. So it could be one of those instances where it suits all parties and uh, I think I'd be reasonably uh, confident that happens and that would be, it'll probably go under the radar because there, it'll be a window where Lukaku moves and Kane moves but I think it could be a very, very shrewd piece of business when all said and done and we look back in retrospect. You want the final word and sell, Sam? Yeah, I was just going to say as well, I think that 
Casal, the perfect coach for him now would be Jurgen Klopp. I mean, in the winter time around Christmas, he came out and spoke publicly about his struggles with his mental health, about how his form dipping off had, had really impacted him and how it's finding it really hard to come back. And there's also been a bit of a breakdown in the relationship with Diego Simeone because he felt like he didn't get the backing from Simeone that he would hope for. I think Jurgen Klopp, the kind of character he is, the kind of coach that will come around, bring him in, put his arm around his shoulder and tell him what a great player he can be. That's exactly the kind of relationship that Saul needs to, to get back to his best. And, and like we said earlier, if Liverpool can bring Saul in for £40 million pounds and then make him the very best Saul that he can be, they've got a £70, £80 million player pound, pound player on their hands. Very interesting. Uh, Jasmine, just a quick word on Inter Milan. I mean, it's been quite a traumatic story, I would imagine, for their supporters uh, this summer. I mean, obviously, they won the Scudetto last year after an uh, 11-year um, hiatus. I've not won it for 11 years since Jose Mourinho won the famous treble back in 2010. And then their squad has been gutted, basically. I mean, you have Ashraf Hakimi going to Paris Saint-Germain, as you mentioned earlier. Rom Lukaku potentially going to Chelsea seems to be a done deal in the coming days. Um, and then also, of course, you have Lautaro Martinez being touted to both Arsenal and Tottenham Hotspur. I mean, how? and of course, of course we're forgetting Antonio Conte leaving as well and being replaced by Pippo Inzaghi. Um, so what do you think, Jasmine? I mean, like, how do you feel that the Italian media are reacting to it but also how do you feel Inter fans are feeling about it too are, are they threatened do you think are they are they angry what's your what's your reading that? um I mean as someone who watched the club guide for the best players in the interest of financial uh, regularity um I think if if you were are in such trouble, you can't really be surprised that this is the route that has to be taken. Um, I've seen rumours of liquidation. I'm not sure if that's actually any true, um, or if there's any truth to that. But, you know, the, the clubs that wanted to join in in the European Super League are normally the biggest ones with the biggest losses. And Inter Milan and actually the whole Italian league you know, are in quite a bit of trouble. Um, so it's no surprise that they've just tried to do this when they can, because if you get 118 million euros for Lukaku, and I'm not sure how much um, the others are going for, but, you know, these are the steps that need to be taken at times. And if they can actually recover any of the losses that they've they've had unlike Barcelona, you know, you might be in a better position than you have been. Um, the fans must be feeling gutted. I mean, it's been quite a wild roller coaster for the whole team. I mean, they're already looking in for replacements. I, it's rumoured that Edin Zeko will go to replace Lukaku. I, I think that's not a bad replacement, to be fair, especially if you do have financial trouble. Um, you know, these these clubs seem to go through these dramatic periods every the turn of every decade, and I don't think this is any different. And they will always bounce back because when you are that big, there are always people willing to invest in you, hoping you stay afloat. And despite it looking really bad and murky, 
I think fans just have to look at the situation at Barcelona and realise, you know, they can actually do something about it. Um, $118 million for... Um, how old is Romelu Lukaku? 28, a 28-year-old is astounding. Um, so even though it looks really bad for them, if they regain money in this sort of way, they'll be in a better position than they have been others of their type. Absolutely. It's Simone Ninzaghi, by the way, not Pippo. I got my, my brothers mixed up. Uh, John, I know you have a bit of an Italian football fetish. Um, what's your thoughts on Inter situation? It's it's absolutely crazy. I feel so bad for their fans and that, you know, they finally, after after maybe 10 or 11 years without a Scudetto, they finally started to build. They got in Conte, a top-class coach, and they were acquiring these brilliant players and they were superb last season. They were really, really good and they stormed the title. And just when you think it's, you know, you're, they're going, it's going to come to a head and they might challenge for the Champions League and try and win back-to-back Scudetti, it falls apart and it turns out it's all built on financial sand. So I, I feel really bad for them and their fans. And, you know, I'm just wondering whether Lukaku will be the last out the door. Perhaps there'll be moves for Borella, for Brozovic, for uh, De Vrij, for Skriniar, for Laturo Martinez. They actually have a very, very good squad and they have a lot of players who, who could benefit some big clubs. So uh, I, I feel bad for the fans, but what it will do is it will make the Serie A title race next season even more interesting and the league itself more interesting. We were talking about, you know, Ligue 1 and how it would, you know, benefit from Messi going there in terms of eyeballs. But I think, you know, the title race being very even with Allegri back at Juventus, with Mourinho, love him or loathe him back at Roma, you know, it'll lead to a lot of intrigue. So, it could be very good between even five or six teams. I think Sarri at Lazio is going to be really exciting. I love watching Maurizio Sarri teams. Uh, I think Atalanta, as always, they're, they're more or less my second club this race. I absolutely love Atalanta, how they play football, how they conduct a transfer business. There's so much to like about them. So Inter is really, really unfortunate for them and for their fans, but I think it just really opens up the title race. And, it could be any one of four, five, or six teams that challenges for it. And I, and I think that's brilliant. A lot of people, you know, like to talk about the Premier League and their big six, but then it's 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 equal or maybe even more teams in, in uh, Serie A that could challenge. So it's going to be very, very interesting. And I'll keep more than one eye on it next season. The Seven Sisters, they refer to um, in Italian football. And James Richardson will be hosting a new um, weekend show on uh, BT about Syria this coming season. Just today they announced that BT have taken the rights. So uh, it's certainly well poised. Jose Mourinho has never done. That's, that's something for sure. And the Italian press certainly love him. Um, a quick word, Atlanta. Uh, I'll go to you in a second, Jasmine. But first, I just want to say that if they take Alex Wolby off Everton's hands, I'll also love them. Anyway, go on, Jasmine. Um, they're linked with. They're linked with. There will be, by the way. It wasn't just a random thing. They, they, they linked I, him today. That's the. That's the. Campaign. I'm pretty sure every player this transfer window has been linked to or from Everton. I, I don't understand <laughs> what's going on this transfer window. Um, we weren't. We weren't. We weren't mentioned in the running for Lionel Messi. That's one thing for sure. Yeah. Although it has been mentioned as long uh, along with many other clubs. Um, but just a quick word on Atalanta and just to get a German um, view in, um, they are rumoured to be signing uh, Dennis Zakaria from Borussia Mönchengladbach, one of the shining stars of that Mönchengladbach team of two seasons ago. Um, so, yeah, the way that they do, they're they doing business and whom, what kind of 
players they're looking at for that team is also very exciting. So just a quick word on that. Well, I guess they lost Christian Romero to Tottenham Hotspur this past week. Um, how good is Zakaria? Do you think that he really has the chops to kind of, uh, you know, fill that void? Yes, um, it will be interesting to see something a little bit more, um, a little bit more tough than the German league, a little bit more rigid than the German league, um, and to see where exactly he suits because. Uh, he's been also linked with Roma and Napoli, um, but it looks like the Atalanta one is the is the deal. Um, but it was kind of, because he's been injured for so long uh, throughout twenty twenty, and he, you know, we all saw Borussia Mönchengladbach season last season. Um, he's kind of been in and out. It will be it will be interesting to see where they exactly fit in because he has been such a part of that dynamic counter-attack that we have seen in Borussia Mönchengladbach, but will he retain more of a defensive midfield role like he was in the 1920 season? So, yeah, interesting to see how he exactly fits. Definitely. You said that um, it'd be tougher. Do you think it's tougher in Italy than it is in Germany? Or do you mean the tactical systems are more more stringent? Or do you, do you think the quality is higher in Italy? Um, uh, in a way, I, I think Germany is just known for, especially in the last two seasons, and especially in last season, not many um, good defensive structures tactically. Uh, so that Borussia Mönchengladbach's included. So I think defensively, Italy is stronger. Um, quality, I would say, is about the same in terms of how many individual talents they are. Uh, there are. Um, yeah, I think that's more where I'm going. But yeah, more rough and more tactically defensive structures are just more solid in the Italian league than it is in Germany right now. Okay, just finally, um, we haven't given Journey much love this episode, but as I mentioned earlier, they weren't really involved in any transfer drama, much to their liking in many ways, um, but we'll definitely be getting back into them once it kicks off uh, this weekend. Uh, but what's your take on the title race in the Bundesliga, Jasmine? Um, obviously talks today that Erling Haaland is linked to Bayern Munich. Um, I don't know whether that's this summer or next, but is it Bayern's to lose? I mean, like, can anyone challenge him this summer? This uh, season, sorry. I, honestly, if you ask different people, they will come up with different answers to this. Personally, and I've I've posted a tweet on my predictions, and I'm fully expected to be wrong. I think it. The loads of people have painted Bayern as a chaotic club at the moment. Things like, oh, you. Josio Kimmich wants to leave and Leon Goretzka wants to leave and now it turns out that Kimmich is close to signing a new deal so all happy smiles there they've got their man up Meccano they've given Julian Nagelsmann a five year deal I honestly believe that they will come first again unless it's a completely crazy year and someone like Stuttgart comes first I don't believe um, Dortmund are mature enough to win the Bundesliga. That's a couple of people's first pick. I think Leipzig are better in better position to win the Bundesliga than Dortmund. Um, 
So yeah, I think those are the ones that Leipzig is the one, the main title challenger, I would say, to Bayern Munich this year. I honestly think Julian Nagelsmann's one of the best managers, along with Thomas Tuchel and Pep Guardiola. So I think he will win, even if, you know, there has been rumours of chaos happening at the club. But yeah, there's not that much happening. The only other thing that's really been dramatic, in a sense, is Haaland. Um, It looked like there's been rumours that I've heard... Chelsea, he was done. I've had Real Madrid, he's been done for next season. And I've also had Bayern, Bayern is done for next season. I think now that Messi has gone to PSG and um, Lukaku will go to Chelsea, I think that opens up the Mbappe to Real Madrid saga rather than Holland to Real Madrid. And then I think it will be something like Bayern Munich then pick up Holland because why not? <laughs> they do love poaching talent from from Dortmund, don't they? Um, yeah, I, I think it's honestly just because of that. I don't see Holland going to Real Madrid now. I think out of the two, Real Madrid more will want an Mbappe. He's just more of a Galactico, and he just seems more mature for his age, more complete, um, as good and as world class Holland is. I just think Mbappe is more of the star. And because of everything else that's gone on, yeah, I can see it. Well, well given the um, when the Messi deal was announced, well, I was not done yet, like, but it's it's practically done. I assumed immediately that Mbappe was gone. I assumed that he go to Madrid, but it seems that they want to keep him. And like, if I was Mbappe, and they can financially swing it, like, I would rather stay at PSG for two years while Messi and Neymar are there at a very high operating level. Do you know? So I don't know. It'd be interesting to see what happens there uh, because like I wouldn't give up playing beside those two and you know Sergio Ramos as well as of course. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. But I guess let's finish off on our moment of the summer. We normally do moment of the week, moment of the summer. Uh, my moment was definitely just before Spain played Sweden in La Cartuja. My first game back where there was fans in attendance um, and the buzz was something else. Midsummer in Seville, very, very hot. A lot of people on the beer. Uh, serious atmosphere building. People from all over Spain at the stadium. Uh, beginning of a European championship. Uh, great buzz about the place. I remember standing there watching the players come onto the pitch before they began to warm up. That, you know, U2 and Martin Garrick's tune was constantly blaring as it was at all the Euro games. And watching, you know, Luis Enrique touch the turf, it just struck me, you know, how almost gladiatorial these footballers are being able to watch it back in person again was brilliant like you know with with fans in attendance atmosphere there and then of course seeing Pedri do the same come out take to the pitch I was thinking what must he be thinking but then of course once the the ball tipped off he was uh bloodless absolutely um ice cold you know a remarkable player not feeling any pressure balling out basically so that was my moment of the of the summer just watching Lucy Riga come onto the pitch because it kind of reminded me what What's so special about elite European football, you know, and everything that goes with it. Uh, Sam, what's your moment of the summer been? Well, I think my moment of the summer might have come this afternoon, actually watching a video of Thiago Messi, the son of Leo. So after this whole transfer saga, which has been going on for so long, so serious, so 
so depressing in a way to watch this guy leave the club that he loves because of the money troubles that, that the club's having. And so there were some fans waiting outside Messi's house today. And Thiago, who's only a young young boy, decided to go and stand by the gate and shout at the fans over the fence. And what some of the fans shouted that they were going to laugh at Messi. And so Thiago just replied, and I'm going to laugh at your father too. <laughs> I saw that, yeah. Everything we've had this summer to have a little kid trolling some Barcelona fans over a garden fence is probably the best way that we can, can end one of the biggest transfers in in history. The Messi brothers have been absolutely brilliant. If you follow Antonella, Messi's wife on Instagram and also even Messi himself, like they often post videos and pictures of them and they're they're very, very funny, funny lads. Like, you know, they were at it they're at Messi's farewell as well on Sunday afternoon, Sunday morning. Um just really funny characters. And very good as well at football. I don't know if you saw the clip of them playing in Miami, just messing around with the ball, like Thiago and Matteo they're very, very good, you know. They, God knows what they've inherited from their father, but uh, I'd say they could be ones uh, to watch so in the, the future. His, his speech with Messi there in tears and everyone giving a standing ovation and they cut to a different angle and you just saw Thiago there on his phone taking pictures. It was <laughs> <laughs> Thiago is the messer, by all accounts. Messi is the yeah. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, John, what's your moment of the summer been? I found it really hard to pick one, so I'll just quickly mention three. So number one is a Swiss fan who absolutely lost his mind celebrating against France. <laughs> I can really relate to being lost in a moment like that in the context of football, and I absolutely loved it. It reminded me of the Arsenal fan from years ago. You always see him on Premier League years with the curly hair, and they score against Man United at Old Trafford, and he absolutely loses his shit. He is going nuts. So uh, I quite like that. A second one from the Euros would be Simon Kerr's leadership to kind of uh, console Christian Eriksen's wife while he had his heart issues and the, to form a kind of a, a cordon of players around him when the TV cameras were infuriatingly thrust, uh, like uh, focusing on him getting attention from the medics. So I thought to have that kind of leadership in a moment like that was absolutely spectacular and I have a lot of respect for him for that. And number three is obviously seeing Lionel Messi win the Copa America. I feel like holding a lack of international success against him is a really stupid argument. So I think that kind of extinguishes a really bad narrative that, oh, Messi can't compare to player X, player Y or player Z because he never won anything at international level. But like it was such a such a hollow argument because if it weren't for Gonzalo Higuain kind of messing up at crucial moments, Messi could have won the biggest prizes already. So I think it was a stupid argument, but thankfully him winning the Copa America, I say him, Argentina winning the Copa America puts that to bed. Definitely. Um, that Swiss fan was hilarious, to be fair. I loved how in one moment he was, you know, fully clothed. Uh, you know, I think he had a hat on and stuff. And then literally like two minutes later, they cut to him and he was shirtless and, you know, living his best life, as they say. Uh, and he also got lots of sponsorship deals after that. He got like, you know, Swiss Air, got on flights to the next game and he got free tickets and he got all kinds of different deals. So he, he he's made a bit of a living out of it. Not, not a living, but a, a lunch, you could say. Um, how about you, Jasmine? What's your moment of the week? If I know you, you're going to be unable to say it properly because you'd be laughing so much during it. But uh, we'll see. What is, what's, your moment of the, what's your moment of the summer? Oh, what were you going to suggest? Because now I don't know. What were you going to suggest? <laughs> No, just normally your moments of the week, you're normally like in fits of giggles when you're when you're trying to say it. Like, <laughs> I thought, right, because I, uh, 
No, I, I, I normally laugh because I don't know. I'm now having a complete blackout. My moment, I, am I allowed to say my moment of the summer? Because it's quite a, well, okay. <laughs> no, it's not, serious. Is it, is it, is it going to bring us down? Like No, 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 no. I was going to say the England fan with the firework upper, upper body part. <laughs> because that is hilarious. that was hilarious and I didn't watch mo- like most of the Euros because I took a break from football because you know we've all been at football so strongly for so long the last season has been so long for us that I took a little break so I couldn't say a proper moment apart from that fan obviously and the English fan with the firework up his body cut but also, I managed to go a few weeks ago to my first game in what feels like forever. A good game between uh, Darmstadt and Regensburg. Um, Darmstadt lost 2-0, but it was very fun to actually be at a stadium and a new stadium for me um, and be back with fans. So, yeah, really nice summer. Fantastic, fantastic. That, that body, but the body part. You can say it, it was up his arse, like, let's be, let's be blunt <laughs> I, about it. Like. I was going to say, say something earlier, and I was like, am I allowed to swear? Is this is this broadcast after the watershed? And I was like, I'm just going to say body part and be more elegant. This is the, the how, reason of me being more elegant, maybe. <laughs> but I wonder, the, the logistics of that was interesting because he seemed to be, he was being hoisted in the air by two other fellas and... Like, there's going to be a lot of planning involved for such a spontaneous action. Like, I can't imagine anyone. I don't know. I'm not trying to go. In, I'm not going to try and get into that guy's headspace. Are any of those England fans' headspace actually? Long looking at those pictures. <laughs> <laughs> actually, John has just written into the little chat thing here. Emery's Villarreal killing everyone in preseason. Yes, I like this, and I think Sam, you've quite a. You, 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 you've been following Emery's exploits this summer quite closely. It's brilliant. La Liga players are going crazy. Roberto Soldado trying to break some legs. Emery trying to beat up Jorge Sampaoli. Uh, yesterday, Atletico had a brawl and Diego Simeone nearly knocked out Yannick Carrasco and he's his own player. I can't wait for what's going to happen when there's fans in stadiums in games where there's actually something on the line. Definitely. And of course, it's not as funny, but um, uh, Fernino uh, clattering um, Jefferson Fofana and breaking his leg, it seems, in that preseason friendly was also an unfortunate incident. Again, involving Villarreal. Um, but yeah, hopefully he recovers soon. But uh, but yeah, that's it. Thanks a million for that, guys. Um, I'll ask each of you for your handles. Uh, John, where's the best place to get you? You can get me at NotoriousJOS on Twitter or, you know, given that the country is opening up, you can probably get me in the pub. But in terms of the internet, yeah, you can get me at NotoriousJOS for your sins. Perfect. How about you, Jasmine? Um, change of handle this season. So at my, you, you can find me at on Twitter, even, <laughs> at jasmine underscore bh1. Perfect. And you, Sam? You can find me at Sam Lefferge. Sweet. Short and sweet. Nice. Nice. Um, for me, it's at Azuafili on Twitter, as always. And I'll see you back next Monday evening or Tuesday morning, depending on when you listen, um, for a roundup of the first week of all the major European leagues back in action. So until then, take care, enjoy the last bit of summer, and enjoy the football. We all certainly will.